So I'm going to have a moment of honesty here in a second. I'm going to ask you if you've ever been guilty of this. For some reason, when we were teenagers, in the mall at night, mostly near closing time, you know, the escalators were so tempting to run up the wrong direction, all right? Anybody, honestly, come on, help me out here if you've done that. Oh, yeah, more, yeah, more of you. Thanks for your honesty. And we just uh, thought that was so fun to, uh, as, the, as everybody was kind of leaving the mall, to, you know, look at this as an opportunity to, you know, just bolt up the wrong direction, do something different. But it was always that moment where you dreaded that awkward moment where, you know, you're almost to the top, you're double timing it, hustling, and then a family or a couple dudes or something, you know, they come, start coming down toward you, and here you're running toward them, and they're coming at you, and you're like, what do I do, right? Do I just like, oh, sorry, and just go down, or do I squeeze past? And it was a very awkward, confrontational moment in, the, in, that, in that time. And I, that's a good illustration for me of kind of what it's like to live the Christian life in today's world, and really in the world in general, that we're going in one direction, and the world is coming the way that they think is the natural, the way it should be done. And here we come presenting something that's completely contrary, a different way of living, different ethics, different morals, different priorities. And it's that awkward moment when you hit an encounter and then you realize, whoa, something's got to give here, right? Do we keep moving or do we kind of back away? And I found that oftentimes, for me, the most awkward time is when you encounter somebody who's Christian in name but they're not living the way that Christ told us to live. And in those moments, it's almost like, what are you doing? You know, why are you doing this? And you think, well, this is what Jesus has called us to do. And it's almost the resistance you get from those who name the name of Christ. So with that idea in mind of just going against the culture, going against the current, that's where this upside-down theme for 2 Corinthians comes in, that the gospel runs contrary counter to what culture says. And so this book of 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul, and he planted a church in Corinth, and Corinth was not unlike a lot of the cities that we have in our world today. It was prosperous, and it was very much a cosmopolitan city, and they really put a lot of value, like we do today, on status, on power, resources, and wisdom. And then here comes the Apostle Paul, probably a small guy, some health problems, not the greatest of orators and speakers, but a guy that's completely driven for the gospel. And he comes into this city, and he has a message that's so different than the rest of the culture. It's Jesus Christ died for our sins, and he rose again on the third day. That's the message he brought and presented to Corinth. He presented a completely different way of living, a way of the cross, a way of following Jesus, a way of self-denial, a way that imitates Jesus. And I think that 2 Corinthians 12.10 sums it up best. It's kind of like the, the theme or the purpose as Paul's presenting this entire book. And it says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul has this just completely upside-down way of thinking other than the culture, that what they saw was strength, what they saw was power. He took a completely different approach, the approach of Jesus. And how awkward and 
weird this was in this type of environment. Corinth, kind of like, think about Las Vegas today. We call it, what's, what's Las Vegas referred to as? Sin City, right? So in Corinth, the, the slogan, the expression, like a Corinthian, that, that was throughout the Roman Empire. If you lived a life of just heathenism and, and debauchery, you were like a Corinthian. That was an idiom they used during that time. And so Paul comes in and not only presents a different way that's going against the status and the wealth and the power and the wisdom, but he's also presenting this holiness that Christians live a life that's holy in a culture that says, embrace whatever appetite you want. Enjoy yourself. You only live once, so take advantage of it. And so imagine what life was like for Paul. Put yourself in that first century mindset of what Paul was dealing with in that, that situation. And so this was a toxic environment that Paul brings in the gospel. He plants a church. He stays there for a good bit of time, as we'll talk about in a minute. And he says, be a light to the city. Be a city on the hill. And I pray that this study in 2 Corinthians teaches us to embrace our identity in Christ, who God has called us to be in this culture, and that we live with greater dependence and greater um, just passion and joy in Jesus in a culture that doesn't readily accept us. So today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, and we'll just look at these few verses. Let me pray, and then we'll dive in here. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can build our life upon you and your truth. We need your truth. We need what you say about situations, about the way of living life, about the way to operate in this world, because we lack the ability to do this ourselves. We lack the wisdom to understand how to do it. And God, I pray that we will live as Paul did, dependent upon you, realizing that in our weakness, that there is where we find our strength. God, I pray you'll take us out of our comfort zones. And God, uh, that's a scary prayer to pray, as we'll see in a second. But God, I pray we'll be willing to be taken out so we can know you in a deeper and more intimate way. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 1, Paul starts, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Paul starts out by referring to Timothy again. Timothy is probably the guy who serves as a scribe. We just looked at Philemon. We know that Paul oftentimes, most of the time, used a scribe to the church of God that is at Corinth, to all the saints who are in the whole of Archaea. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I'm going to put on your memory cap for a second here. I was talking to, uh, I think it was Harrison yesterday, and was saying, we did, he was asking about 1 Corinthians. I said, we did that a long time ago, 2017. You realize 2017 was six years ago? That's when we went through 1 Corinthians. In fact, we started October the 2nd, 2017. How does time fly, right? Think about what's happened in your life in those six years. A lot's probably taken place. A lot's happened. Well, when Paul founded the church of Corinth, he spent about a year and a half in Corinth Seeing people come to Christ, seeing people put their faith in him, seeing people uh, just be, become followers of Christ, and then raising up elders and leaders. And then three years later, he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. So he wrote this book back to them, and then a year later, he writes 2 Corinthians. And a lot happened between 1 and 2 Corinthians, that's for sure. 
All right, so yeah, just one thing that's obvious that happened between First and Second Corinthians. If you go back to First Corinthians, the beginning of the letter, he writes specifically for the church at Corinth. But now he expands this. He writes and he talks that, like this is for the entire area. So the gospel, the good news is it's been growing. It's been increasing. People more and more are coming to Christ. They're following the way. They're following Jesus. So good things have happened in that last year, but some not so good things have happened as well. Let's recap a little bit about what 1 Corinthians was written for. Paul wrote his first letter to Corinth in an attempt to help the church return to their foundation, which was, of course, Jesus Christ. They were drifting. Paul had started the church. He'd spent a year and a half there, but this church after he left became just a mess. What did they do? They began to just embrace, again, the culture. They fell back into the way they were living before. There were sexual scandals. There was lawsuits against other members of the church. They were making a mess of the Lord's Supper. They were just selfish and indulgent. This was just a mess of a church, the church at Corinth. And, you know, I think sometimes we hear people talk about the church, the early church, and they talk about getting back to the early church and the model of the early church, what the early church was doing. Now, there was a lot of great stuff that happened in the early church, as we know from Scripture. But Corinth is an example that it wasn't always so great, right? They, their problems were many, and they struggled. And this community was very immature. They were self-centered, very, very carnal. But I was thinking about this as I was studying and reading. Think about the advantage that we have over the church of Corinth. No one in the church of Corinth had been a believer more than a few years. Everybody was a baby Christian in that church. They didn't have anybody who had been walking with the Lord for 50 years. These were all newbies, new believers. So there were no generations of Christians. I think one of the advantages we have at Grace Church is we have multiple generations. And that's why we encourage K-groups to have multiple generations because we learn so much by being around those who aren't exactly in the stage of life we're in or the place we're in in life. And so there's just something about somebody who's been there and experienced. They've been walking with Jesus longer. They can speak back into your life. And I think sometimes as people age, they begin to think, well, it's the, you know, I'm not really that relevant to you know, the church. It's like, look at all the baby carriages. Look at all the younger people. I love the fact that many in this church recognize the need for those who are a little bit further beyond them and the wisdom that they have from walking with Jesus for the, through the years. Corinth had none of that. They did not have other people to lean on. And so no one grew up in a Christian home. Nobody was discipled in a Christian home. And so it's kind of not surprising then in some ways that Corinth had the messes that they had. But what happens during this time period after 1 Corinthians, Paul actually makes a, a quick trip back to Corinth to deal with many of these troubles. And this is referred to in his writing as a painful visit. Why was it painful? Well, he was not physically attacked, but he was attacked by a member of the church. People questioned Paul's leadership. They questioned his apostleship. They looked at him from a cultural standpoint and, and saw a guy who really didn't fit the mold of what culture said was successful and what our, their culture valued. Paul didn't fit the mold of those things. And so he was rejected. And Paul was just, he was poor. He was persecuted. He was often homeless. And again, he was unimpressive in his 
public speaking ability, and that was very valued during that culture. And we learned from 2 Corinthians that Paul had actually written another letter between 1 and 2 Corinthians, a letter that is now lost. We don't have it. It wasn't, of course, destined to be in the Word of God, or it would have been preserved and lasted. But he wrote this letter, and it's, he refers to it as the severe letter. It's a letter that's very pointed to the point of the difficulties and the fact that his words, uh, uh, that, that Paul had God's authority upon his life, and they needed to listen to what he had to say and respect his leadership. And so clues we see in 2 Corinthians reveal to us that this severe letter, it expressed love for them, but it also dealt with some of these matters, especially this man who was questioning his ability and leadership during, his first, during that visit. And so apparently the letter achieved its objective because we see that 2 Corinthians was really written to assure the church of Paul's love for them and just to continue to be faithful and follow through and do what the Lord has called them to do. And so that's a little bit of background. It's very helpful as we dive into this book. So verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Just look down at your Bible or the screen for a second. Look at that verse. Look at the way that God is described in that verse. Paul's painting a picture of God. He's a father. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the father of mercies, and he's the God of all comfort. And this theme of comfort here is a very powerful theme that Paul just, his mind is on this idea of comfort. In fact, he mentions comfort in one form or another ten times just in five short verses. Comfort, comfort, comfort. What's Paul getting at? What's he thinking about when he's saying that God is a God of comfort, of all comfort? I don't know about you, but when I think about comfort, just picture comfort in your mind for a second, all right? You want a comfortable weekend. What comes to mind for comfort? Maybe it's a Five-star hotel. That's what popped in my mind as I contemplate this idea of comfort. You, you, know, you pull in, you know, they, they come out, they get your car, they, they take it away. You walk in, they push your luggage and they carry it to the room for you. Room service is available. They come in, they pad your pillow, they get it ready. It's just they, they're pampering you, they're taking care of you. And then they tell you, okay, help yourself with all the amenities of the hotel. We got a lazy river, we got a masseuse, we got this and that. And so we see comfort in our context as just something that pampers us. And I, I love what one commentator um, said about this. He said, the word comfort has gone soft in modern English. The word comfort has gone soft in modern English. What does God mean, the God of all comfort. The commentator goes on to say, in the Latin translation, the word was closely connected to its root, which means brave, strong, and courageous. And the Greek word for comfort here shares the same root as the word Jesus used for who? John, in John, the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, right? And so the the idea that Paul is getting across here when God is the God of comfort, yes, it involves God meeting us in our difficulty and giving us help, but it means also strengthening, making us strong, providing what we need for the challenges that are in front of us. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? Think about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. He convicts you of sin. He gives you strength. He emboldens you. 
and he transforms your life to be more and more like Jesus. And so comfort, the God of comfort, isn't just the God who is the parent, the overprotective parent at the playground. When you fall and skin your leg, they come over and they pour baby you to death and pick you up for a little tiny injury, right? That's not what we're getting at here. Obviously, God is the God of mercies and the God of comfort, but comfort implies more than just somebody who's consoling someone. It's, I'm transforming you through the hardships and difficulties. I am taking you and strengthening you. And the, the truth is, if we're really, truly living for Jesus, it's not going to be easy. Somebody came in this morning, they're like, life's hard. It's like, whoa, did you know what I'm speaking about this morning, right? Because it is hard. Life is hard. Living for Jesus isn't easy. And if anybody understood this, it was Paul. He'd experienced pain and suffering and heartbreak, not just from the world in general, but specifically from this church in Corinth. And we've studied Paul's letters, and we've talked about him enough here at Grace that if you've attended for, for any length of time, you know the personal cost that Paul suffered for the gospel and for following Jesus. And it's so easy for us just to read this and just to hear these things and disconnect from the, the truths that God is giving to us, because maybe at the moment your life isn't that difficult, and following Jesus doesn't create that much tension for you. And the truth is, Living in America for the last 350 years, the church has experienced very little persecution. But now, more than ever, things are changing. Uh, one guy said it this way, more than ever, we're outside the mainstream of American culture. The cultural cost, Ed Stetzer says, of calling yourself a Christian is starting to outweigh the cultural benefits. Because Christianity in the past has had some benefits to it. That's beginning to shift. This was written, he, he said that 10 years ago, yeah, like even more so today. But you know what? God said that long ago. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by the fiery trials that come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And so Scripture makes it crystal clear that suffering and difficulty is part of the journey of following Jesus. Part of the journey. But Paul says God brings comfort. God brings comfort, not in the form usually of a five-star hotel and a fluffy pillow and room service, but by strengthening us, helping us, and making us strong and to learn from the situation. So we don't deny reality. I love what Paul Tripp says in New Morning Mercies. He says, the faith of the Bible would never call you to deny reality in any way. You don't act like it doesn't hurt. You don't act like that it's not difficult. The faith of the Bible is so in awe with the grandeur and glory of God that it is able to look at the darkest of realities in life and not be afraid. If God is for you, who can be against you, right? And so when we have... God's perspective on this, the God of mercies and the God of comfort, and we view life and the things that happen and the difficulties that come our way, we don't deny, oh, it's not that bad, or I can toughen this up and make it through. No, the God of comfort meets us and strengthens us, not just so we can feel better, not so we can just be more energetic for life and more upbeat for life. He meets us to conform us into the image of Christ, to make us more and more that light 
on the hill, the city on the hill, the light that can't be hidden that Jesus talked about, that people will see our good works and glorify God, that they'll see us and glorify God on the day of visitation, Scripture says, the day he comes and returns. People have come to Christ as a result of our life and our words. And so the God of comfort strengthens the weak and the feeble. Make it personal. Are you feeling weak and feeble? Maybe it's not because necessarily of your physical health, but maybe it's just your spiritual life. You're feeling pretty weak and puny right now. The God of comfort meets you where you're at. Does your spirit feel crushed? Is something happening in life that you're just emotionally worn out? You're just tired? And you feel like you're kind of going through the motions? God says he's the God of comfort. He wants to meet you in this situation. And this is not just me standing here saying words that I'm supposed to say. This is God's word. God meets you when you're worn out by the troubles of life. God's comfort instills within us unbending resolve and durable assurance. When we question God's goodness, we question because of our circumstances, God, are you really good? Why would you do this if you're a good God, a God of mercies and comfort? I want the five-star hotel and the experience. I don't want what you're dishing out here. What's going on? Why is this happening? God's word assures us that he gives us this durable assurance and this unbending resolve just to stay faithful. But here you might be surprised where Paul goes next. Because most of the time, we look at comfort as kind of a selfish thing. Like, okay, God, give me what I need. Paul doesn't do that. He, he actually says the God of all comfort comforts us. Look at verse 4. He comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So a proper understanding of God's ministry of comfort is essential because it brings clarity to what gospel-driven life and ministry looks like for us. When we see God properly and the things that he allows into our life, then we get clarity of what it means to follow God in a way that's gospel-centered and full of Jesus and the Holy Spirit-driven comfort for others. So we're called to use the adversity and the difficulties that we face to strengthen, encourage, help others. And that's critical ministry. It's absolutely critical that we do this. Why? Because the way Paul is laying this out and presenting it, maybe you've been to a, a large sporting event before, all right? And I know the wave was a thing in the past, but in the last few years I went to a, a game and people were trying to start the wave. You remember the wave where you're sitting down and then your section rises up and puts your hands up and then it just kind of circles the stadium and it's really, really cool when the whole stadium does it and it just kind of goes around. Well, it never fails as people are trying to start this and more and more catching on. There's always that like one section that just won't get it, all right? Like every time it's moving and it's going, it's going, it's going, it's going, and it just like dies out, right? And everybody in these sections, boo. These people just are just not even focused. They don't even know what's going on. And you're yelling and screaming, but nothing happens and they're not on board. That's the way that I picture this idea of God using our adversity and our suffering to encourage other people, that you're a critical link in the chain. And if you're unwilling to fulfill your ministry 
it sort of breaks the link in what God's doing in our church and what God's doing in his household. The fact that you're unwilling to allow your suffering and your difficulties to speak and minister into the life of others. We have this compartmentalized way of ministry, like, okay, my ministry is like the third Sunday I work childcare, that's my ministry, or I do set up in the chairs, and those are critical. I mean, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now if it wasn't for those ministries. But ministry in Scripture has a lot more to do with interpersonal relationships than it does in just filling a task and checking a box. And of course, you know, we know if your attitude's right, you can do chair setup and be very encouraged. And like you walk away after praying together and you feel encouraged or you're working in children's ministry and you're really focused on passing on truth to the next generation. But all of us know you can just go through the motions and just do it without it really meaning anything. And so we just check the box off because we need to receive the comfort of God in Christ before we can give it to other people. That's where Paul says next. Look, look at verse four again who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. All right, so we, as we receive from God the comfort for our struggle, then we turn around in a very fresh way and give that to others. But when you are turned inward upon yourself and you are questioning God's goodness or questioning why this is happening or looking at all the fleshly reasons or ramifications of the results of this being the case in your life, then you're sort of breaking the chain of the comfort that you need to extend to others and the growth that you experience in Christ in this adversity. And so you are afflicted, and then you see this as an opportunity to give it away. Not my words. The Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Back in April, I had the privilege to go to Lubbock, Texas, and speak at a men's conference there. And even though I was a keynote speaker, I have to admit, I was very, very encouraged from my interaction with the guys around the table. I had stood up and did the four main sessions, and then we broke off into small groups all over the room. And during this time, I was so impressed with the men of that church. They had been participating in a program, a biblically-based discipleship program called Regeneration. And many of the leaders and those who were elders and deacons in the church were required to go through this program if they were going to participate in leadership of this program. And this program was very much about being real in your, uh, what you need as far as healing and recovery from the struggles in life. And, and we think healing and recovery, we think of the addict, we think about the person who's struggling with this or that vice, but the truth is we're all dealing with sin and struggling with sin. And so while some guys were not necessarily sharing about their addiction to alcohol or whatever, they were sharing about just their general addiction to sin and the struggle and the fight when they don't see themselves the way that God sees them in Christ. And they begin to live their life independent of the Holy Spirit's leading. And they just make a mess of their life in ways that were very subtle. They were willing to, to share that with the other guys in the group. And I walked away and I said, you know, told the guys, the pastors, Man, we need to do a men's gathering here. And when the women decided to do their retreat, it was just a good kick for, on, on, for me to like, okay, let's make that happen. Let's do it right away. And I hope that you'll be part of our men's retreat. It's only one night. and we're, It's not a big commitment, all right? one night, and it's going to be a time to really encourage one another so we don't waste our affliction. 
we're not wasting our affliction. This is an opportunity for us to use our affliction to be a comfort for those around us. And if you say, oh, that's not me, you know, I just, I don't do that. That's the, I don't like to open my life. You're missing your ministry and you're also mi- mi- missing the God, God of comfort meeting you where you're at and providing you with what you need to grow in him and to allow your suffering not to be wasted. You see, the, we see in verse 5 and 6, the more that we suffer, the more comfort we have to give to others. God gives to us. We're a conduit. We give to other people. Look at by verse 5 and 6. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort too. So as they suffer, they experience his comfort. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So Paul says, don't be surprised by this. We, as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, he's saying that's just part of the deal, right? It's, it's God's will that we suffer for Jesus. There's very few times in Scripture where it says it's God's will. And oftentimes that's our big question. Like, what's God's will for my life? Well, one thing we can be certain about, Scripture is clear that we suffer for Christ as Christ suffered. And so God's will for us to suffer, but not just to bear up under it and say, oh, God, let me get through this. You know, I just get it over as quick as possible. But as he's pouring in this grace into our lives, we're pouring it out to other people. And if it stops with us, if we don't participate, then we don't get a blessing and other people don't receive the things that they need for their struggles and their difficulties. And so Paul assumes that the Christian life is one of suffering and strengthening, of setbacks and encouragements, of struggle and of joy. And so this is so countercultural to the religions of Corinth. You see the religions of Corinth, and there were many. There were gods everywhere. There was a temple that was built years before that was for, the, uh, for a goddess. And this goddess was to be come and to be worshipped. And the, goddess, the gods and gods, goddesses of that day, they didn't care about your holiness. In fact, it was just the opposite, right? It was not about living a certain way or acting a certain way. It was all about, okay, if I do these things, the gods are happy with me. They're appeased with me. And they'll give me the things that I need uh, in life, right? And so it was all about transactional and like I need to get what I need to get. But, but following Christ is completely different. It's about the fact that God is calling us into his story, not us trying to bring him into ours. And I love the fact that so many times we can be kind of all focused and, and we can begin to pray prayers and to say this terminology of God, just bless us, bless God, just bless us more, bless us. And, and our prayers turn into just blessings for us, blessings for us. Give, 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 God. Give us more, like we need more, right? In Scripture, in the New Testament, find one verse, find one verse where anybody prays, God bless me. You won't find it. I've looked. You know why? Because Ephesians 1, 3 and other verses say that we've already been blessed all that we can be blessed. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. If you have time to flip over, if not, I'll read it for you. I don't think this one's on the screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
God's blessed you to the maximum in Christ. He's given you everything you need to follow his will, to live a life that's godly, that honors him, and that points people to Jesus. And so when we expect suffering and difficulty enters our door, we don't question God's goodness. We say, God, you are good. What are you doing? What's going on here, God? Who can I encourage even in my affliction? And out of God's encouragement to us, we encourage other people, and then we just repeat the process. Expect suffering. Difficulty enters our door. We receive God's comfort, and out of that, we encourage other people, and this goes around and around again and again. That's what God has called us to do. And you know, listen, get real personal here. You know that you turned inward when all you want to do is gripe and complain and argue with God about your situation or question God's goodness or not be willing to be authentic and real in your life toward others. It means you've fallen into a place of religion probably where this is very transactional for you. I've come and I do the things, God, so now you're supposed to give me blessing. And God says, I've already blessed you more than you can ever, ever imagine. Not only have I blessed you, I'm with you. I've put my spirit within you. Nowhere can you go that I'm not with you, and my spirit desires to know the will of the Father, and I'm calling you to engage in what I have for you. And that looks like encouraging other people through the affliction that you've suffered yourself and the things you've gone through yourself. That's the mindset that... God has called us to. And the problem is, I think, that we stay so busy with life, right? I mean, it's the, the world, there's a hundred things that come to distract us from God. And, and this is the way of the world, that just constant distractions, good things, right? But you got to be here at this time, be there at this time, have this responsibility, do this. And all these things, we just forget that God's presence and, and the reality of what he's calling us to do. And we're just getting from point A to point B to point C to point D in the day, and we're missing out that God, we have to be intentional, remind ourselves of the power and the presence of Jesus, the power and presence of Jesus in our life. And so maybe you found yourself in that, in that what was on the screen a minute ago, that picture, that's like, that's my life right there. That's, that's what, the way I live. Maybe either you're too busy, probably, or the fact that you're just very self-focused, self-centered in your life instead of God-focused. And, and I don't say that to beat you up because it's our, it's our drift. If we don't give our attention and be intentional toward the things of God, we will drift toward self-centeredness and selfishness. But I love how Paul closes this section because, again, the church of Corinth is a mess. People are a mess there. But look what he says in verse 7. Our hope for you is unshaken. Wow! The fact that he tells the church of Corinth, we are not going to be discouraged by the way that you're living your life. Because why? He who began a good work in you will finish it, Paul said in Philippians. God's going to finish what he started in you. If the Holy Spirit is in you, and you've been regenerated, and you come to Christ, and he, he's changed you from the inside out, he's going to be, continue to work himself through your life and in your life and out of your life. And Paul says, our hope isn't, isn't shaken. It's unshakable. And although this church is full of challenges and much hardship, uh, heartache has been a result of that to Paul personally, he never loses confidence in them. He never loses confidence in them. 
And it's hard, isn't it? As human beings, think about your K-group. Think about those who are in Fight Club. Think about those who are building into other people through discipleship. It's so easy to become discouraged because you build in, you, you just like invest, invest, and sometimes your return doesn't look so good, right? And from a human perspective, it's like, man, you know, I, I just pouring in here, and it just sounds like that, you know, their commitment level is so weak, and they're so, you know, unwilling to really engage in this discipleship process. And we need to be reminded what Paul says to this church at Corinth. Our hope for you is unshaken. The rest of the verse, where we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. I think Paul is really just using this as an encouragement to tell them, it's time to grow up, guys. You've been trying to live down to your culture, and it's time to live up to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You're like, you got to see that you can't just fit in and go with the flow. It's going to be a, whoa, oh, what do I do here? i got a little confrontation here. What do I do? I'm following Jesus. I'm, I'm going through. I'm going straight here. I'm not going to cave in and back down and just be unwilling to stand for God and his holiness and his righteousness. And even in the Christian community, I'm not going to be afraid to move those conversations to, hey, how is God impacting your life in that situation? Or just sharing what God's doing in your life. That was the hands application last week, right? Talk to somebody. Somebody, ask them these questions. How are you doing? How are you doing in your walk? How are you doing in, in your life with Christ? Where's your struggle been? And, and I hope that you followed through and, and, and did that. And here's another opportunity to do it this week is to realize that it's our calling to invest in others. And I know it's easy to look at this idea of suffering from Paul's perspective and think, well, we don't deal with physical persecutions like Paul did. I think that suffering in the New Testament isn't just the physical persecutions. It's all the hard things that come with following Jesus. All the hard things that come with following Jesus. And that's going to happen when you live at odds with this world. It's going to definitely happen as you battle the desires of the flesh. There's going to be suffering involved in that because there's going to be self-denial in times when you really, really want to do X and God says, no, that's not good for you. Trust my will. Follow what I say. And you're like, I feel so pulled. And God says, I've given this to you, these commands and these instructions for your good. And sometimes when you don't feel like doing it, those are the things you need at that moment. And refusing, we, they're suffering when we refuse to just worship the idols of our culture, refuse to engage in the things that are good, that can overtake our lives and become things that just we worship and our life revolves around them. There's suffering involved in that. And there's also a level of suffering involved in opening up our lives for the good of others. It doesn't come easy, especially for some of your personalities. You're like, I've been hurt. Like church, there's been people that really done me wrong. I built these walls here to protect myself because somebody told something I said or I trusted them and they betrayed me. And so we come up with these, all these reasons why we don't want to give our lives to others. But I don't find in Scripture that being an excuse, that we open up our lives out of love for others. And there is a degree of suffering involved in that. And God gives hope. He tells us, you can find your hope in me. I'm comforting you because I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. 
I've given you the Holy Spirit who's the ultimate comforter, who's going to meet you and strengthen you and help you, encourage you, and remind you of the words that I say. The church at Corinth needed to hear these things. Suffering wasn't shameful. Paul needed to tell them, yes, from the world's eyes, you're not so big, you're not so great. From God's eyes, right? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. So the head application today, living for Jesus is hard, right? But that's where God's comfort is found. God's comfort is found in a special way in the hard times of light. God meets you in those moments, and he gives you what you need, and here is the reason. You have a bigger view of him. As you experience him working, you grow in your knowledge of God and his greatness. And then your heart application. Are you, ask yourself this, are you wasting your suffering? Are you building into other people? Are you actively seeking to encourage others by sharing your testimony and passing on what you've learned from Scripture? Are you? Are you doing that? Are you looking for opportunities to do that? Don't waste your suffering. God's comfort is there for you in those moments. And as you experience that, you just give it away to other people. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that really just provides us just the realities we need in the hard moments of life, which happen all the time, and the struggles of the flesh, the allure of the world, the tactics of the devil. God, we need you to meet us in those moments, which you promised to do. And God, we want to learn more of you, and then we want to be more passionate about ministry to others. And God, I pray you'll break us out of our comfort zone, help us to see our calling. And God, we thank you for these words from 2 Corinthians. And as we just continue in this book, we're so excited for what you're going to teach us. And God, help us not just to be hearers of the word, but be doers, so we don't deceive ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.